0: This week we'll talk about doing postdoctoral research, and we have a special guest today, Eleni. Eleni is a postdoctoral researcher at the Dima Group at TU Berlin. This is the same university where I got my master's six, seven years ago, and this is the same group where I studied. Eleni works there as a postdoctoral researcher. She's doing research on spatial data and big data analytics. She's interested in stream processing in IoT environment. Welcome.
1: Yeah, uh, hello, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here today.
0: Before going to the main topic of today, I wanted to ask you about your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. So, okay, you practically already covered most of it. But yeah, let me also say a few things from my uh, perspective. So yes, I'm currently a postdoc uh, at the Technical University of Berlin and I have been uh, in Berlin uh, since October 2019, so roughly two years now. Uh, prior to that, I spent six years uh, in Lausanne, Switzerland, uh, where I did my PhD in computer science and more specifically in data management at uh, EPFL, which is the Ecole Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne. Um, during my PhD, I also spent some time uh, in uh, New York, four months, um, where I worked at uh, NYU. Uh, before my PhD, I was in my home country, uh, Greece, uh, where yeah, I did my undergraduate studies in electrical and computer engineering. Uh, at the National Technical University of Athens. So yeah, to sum it up, I went from undergrads in Athens to PhD in Lausanne and then a posted in Berlin. So I've been in academia my whole uh, you know, career so far. I had some interruption uh, in the video, but yeah, I think I, <laughs> so yeah, the question was about uh, my topic, right? Big data, uh, uh, spatial big data analytics. My main research area so far has been uh, spatial big data analytics. This is the like broader topic of my PhD and the topic that I'm still working on, even though now I'm not uh, focusing on that entirely. Um, So yeah, what is it? Um, Well, you know, broadly speaking, it is essentially the process of analyzing spatial data Uh, to find trends, gain insights, and answer questions. And then the next question you might have, of course, is what is spatial data? What is this data that we are analyzing? Uh, And, uh, you know, spatial data is any data that contains some, you know, uh, geometric or geographic uh, feature. Uh, So spatial data can be points in space that can, for example, correspond to GPS locations. So, you know, you have, uh, you know, data that is about... uh, like taxi rides uh, uh, that's spatial because we have the location uh, and the trajectory of of a ride. Um, Then it can also be um, uh, lines that represent uh, uh, a road or a river on a map. It can be polygons that represent regional boundaries. uh, And I think you get the idea. And these are examples that um, are uh, in two dimensions, but uh, also we uh, have three dimensional spatial data. Uh, so that can represent uh, something, uh, you know, that has volume uh, in space. Uh, and there is also another category of spatial data, uh, which are, um, uh, and, yeah, and the main uh, representative of that category is uh, satellite uh, images, um, because in such images, you have uh, a collection of pixels, and then for each uh, pixel uh, that corresponds to some uh, geographic uh, location. Uh, so this is also an example of spatial data.
0: So what do you usually do at work? Like what kind of responsibilities you have now as a postdoctoral researcher?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do a few different things, I would say. Okay, first of all, I participate in um, uh, research activities uh, and that, you know, again also it uh, contains many different things but broadly means uh, you know working to solve some research problems or even thinking about new ones, um, participating in uh, you know project meetings with other colleagues uh, and uh, writing papers uh, when a project is mature enough and there are results uh, that can be published. Uh, I also mentor students um, so far mainly for uh, bachelor uh, and master's thesis uh, but I also have some experience co-mentoring uh, some PhD students and currently I also teach uh, a bachelor course. Um, sometimes I also have to disseminate my research uh, by giving talks uh, at conferences or, or other venues uh, and uh, yeah finally another thing that I'm doing is not strictly tied to um, you know my job description, but yeah, it's that I'm also contributing contributing to the like international um, community in my field by uh, reviewing uh, papers uh, for conferences uh, or journals. Um, so yeah, if I look at you know my week, I would say this is uh, uh, usually what's on my schedule.
0: Is it? Uh, would you say this is a typical um, day of uh, somebody working as a postdoc? in academia or?
1: um yeah i would say typical week because okay i you know I, I try to avoid multitasking as much as possible because yeah I, I don't find it effective so i try you know to have some days where i can focus entirely on one activity or another um so yeah, I would say this is how typically a week looks like. and I mean also, but okay over the course of the of a month or of a few months, um, the, the like distribution of these tasks can also change and maybe there are periods where uh, some you know, task goes completely away. For example, okay, as you know, there are like semester breaks where you don't have to do any teaching. Uh, or I mean, I don't always have papers to review for conferences, uh, for example. Uh, But yeah, uh, um, yeah. But other activities like, you know, having, um, you know, mentoring students, uh, having kind of some regular meetings with them. Yeah, these are usually uh, permanent. (laughs) Uh,
0: uh, permanent You said that you're writing papers if there is some outcome to share. How often it happens? I'm curious that you do some research and then, uh, yeah, you don't have an outcome to share and you don't uh, end up writing a paper. Is it uh, something that happens often or not?
1: Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, I mean, what can happen is that you don't have, um, you know, results that are good enough to write a really good paper that can be published at the really, uh, you know, at one of the top conferences in the field. So, you know, yeah, to have um, an idea and then uh, results that, uh, are kind of, you know, top level, um, yeah, it, this is hard. I think it happened that initially you're targeting this uh, kind of, you know, uh, top level uh, venues but uh, in the end, your results make it hard uh, for you to, to you know, publish there. Uh, but then in my experience, I mean, if you still did some thorough and decent work, uh, even if the results are, you know, a bit disappointing and like not what you were hoping for, I mean, there's, still a way to publish uh, your work because, I mean, there, there is always some interesting finding in it. Uh, it's just that, yeah, you might need to just, you know, go to a less competitive uh, venue uh, for that. But yeah, I mean, for me, you know, if there are some reasonable results, and as I said, if you do a good job, um, this is usually the case. Yeah, there is, um, it makes still sense to publish them somewhere.
0: And the top venues where you publish are usually BLDB and uh, what what else? Sigmod. Yeah, the very top two. Yeah, these two are the really
1: the top ones. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. So BLDB is uh, very large. What DB databases? Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) yeah, I
0: still remember (laughs) that from. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And Sigmod is like special interest group on what?
1: Management of data.
0: Uh, right. yeah yeah
1: so
0: this is uh like these are the places where researchers who work in uh, databases the uh, data management uh, big data uh, analytics and all these things this is the these are the conferences where these researchers want to publish first right so these are the top yeah venue.
1: these are the top venue there is a third one that's uh, also um i, I would say uh, Um, Equally good is called ICD. Uh, So that's International Conference of uh, Data Engineering. Ah, I think this this three,
0: yeah. Interesting. Okay, and uh, um, is uh, being a postdoc different from being a PhD student? So yeah, you mentioned that you need to do a lot of things like uh, thinking about research problems, writing papers, mentoring students, teaching a course, reviewing papers. But uh, PhD students also do these things, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, you're quite right. You are quite right about that, yes. So um, uh, overall, for me, how I feel is that the main difference comes because uh, in the postdoc position, you have more responsibility. So it's kind of the amount of responsibility that changes. And okay, maybe also a little bit, uh, you know, that. Like the, the, the distribution of time um, on these different tasks. So, like going back as a PhD student, like still my primary, primarily um, job was to work on my PhD thesis. Uh, it was clear that this is uh, the top priority. Uh, I was also teaching uh, as an assistant, uh, but you know that was uh, not more than let's say twenty percent of my work time. Uh, and from times to times, I also mentored uh, some bachelor and master students during my PhD, but not so many and not so frequently, so like not every semester, for example. Um, so, and then also uh, in my PhD uh, component, in my PhD um, uh, research, I was mainly conducting research on my own. So, like, I had a lot of alone uh, time uh, to work on my uh, thesis. Um, And um, yeah, so what has changed now? I would say that, yeah, I have more mentoring uh, uh, to do. Uh, So like now I mentor students, you know, every semester. Uh, and also this mentoring, I would say, comes uh, with um, more responsibility um, because, um, you know, I mentor not only bachelor and master's students, but also some PhD students, like a co-mentor. Uh, and, um, you know, it is important to ensure that uh, they will be successful, right? You don't want uh, your students to just uh, uh, waste their time, uh, you know, uh, working on something that uh, uh, is not uh, promising. And then teaching also comes now with more responsibility. Uh, Now, before, as I said, I was an assistant. So I didn't have to think about, uh, you know, the tasks that needed to be done. I was assigned these tasks. I just needed to carry them out and that was it. Uh, Now I am the one that like runs the course, uh, manages the course. So I need to organize everything and make sure that the course runs smoothly. So this responsibility uh, falls uh, on me. Uh, and then, as I said in my PhD, uh, I spent quite some, you know, alone working time. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, now I would say I do less research uh, completely on my own and more in collaboration uh, with others. And uh, in my like everyday life, this also means that I spend more time uh, in meetings with other people. And yeah, I also mentioned uh, the like reviewing papers before, and I, I, I have to say that this is something that uh, I didn't do much uh, in my PhD. Uh, but you know that's normal because uh, you are invited to uh, review papers for conferences when you are a little bit more senior uh, in the field. So that's uh, yeah, usually um, you don't get a lot of these invitations as a PhD student
0: so if i summarize then you get a broader scope so you do not uh, get to do as many like as so previously you would just sit and do research yourself but now you're more like delegating the work right to others so others do research and uh, you're helping them uh, with that right instead of just sitting there just by yourself uh, doing that right Did they summarize it
1: uh, yes i would say currently i actually kind of work a bit in two modes i mean yeah there is a little bit of delegating aspect which um, you can say happens when you know if i work with a, with a student because i mean you know still like uh, if someone is doing like a, their thesis with me or their phd i mean they are still uh, expected to own their work and uh, you know, uh, these their own thesis. I mean, I help them, but I'm not supposed to uh, do the thesis for them, right? So in that sense, uh, yeah, uh, um, I'm providing guidance. Uh, but then I'm also, I also do some, um, I, I mean, uh, Again, not on a constant basis, but in, like say in the past year, I also do some collaborative research with other researchers that are more um, like uh, at the same level of seniority as me, let's say. So in that sense, it's more a collaboration. I mean, nobody's delegating anything to someone else, would like to, to to the other person, but it's uh, more kind of you know uh, yeah.
0: sharing so, uh, the work. 100%. Yeah. And then, yeah, thanks. And then you mentioned one thing. I think that's quite important. So now a part of your job. So you have more responsibility and the part of your job is you need to help others be more successful. So you have mm-hmm. bachelor students, you have master students, you have PhD students that you co uh or co advise. Mm-hmm. So how do you actually make sure that they are more successful? Like how, how do you do this? Like how do you help them select topics like because PhD thesis is quite uh, a large piece of work, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like three, five years, um, so that's a lot of responsibility uh, mm-hmm. on you as well when you come up with a topic. So, how do you help them be more mm-hmm. successful? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, a great uh, question. Um, So, okay, maybe I can also talk a bit about, uh, yeah, master and bachelor students. So in this case, I have to say it's easier, of course, and most of my experience also is with working uh, with master and bachelor students. Uh, because in that case, um, I'm typically the one that proposes a list of topics, like I advertise these topics, and then uh, the student picks the one they like, and then we potentially tailor it together to their interests. So, you know, there it's a little bit easier. The scope is also uh, smaller because, uh, uh, you know, this is research that needs to be completed within, let's say, six months, right? you so, yeah, uh, uh, that also limits a little bit, uh, you know, what you can do um, during that time. Uh, now, in terms of PhD students, so far I have only acted as a co-supervisor, which means that also the responsibility is uh, shared, uh, but uh, overall how it works at Dima, um, uh, at least what I have seen so far in my time at Dima, is that in general, we have a few bigger um, research themes uh, in the group, um, like some bigger umbrella topics um, that, you know, they are mostly, I guess, determined by uh, uh, but, you know, the, the leader of the group, uh, Professor Markle. Uh, and then uh, students typically, so the, I mean, students typically need to identify a subtopic that interests them within these bigger research teams. So already, you know, the fact that there's kind of this bigger umbrella topics provides some guidance. Uh, And then from there, you know, they come up with ideas, uh, you know, by reading, brainstorming, talking to their mentors, uh, but also to other uh, colleagues and fellow students. And that's why, uh, you know, the whole group can kind of provide some guidance there. Uh, So, yeah, for PhD students, I don't dictate the topic. I mean, they mostly have to come up with it on their own within like a bigger research team, but I mostly, how I help them is mostly by, you know, asking them questions and talking to them to make sure that they really understand the problem that they picked and to also make sure that uh, this is indeed an open research problem. Uh, So, you know, I expect the student, for example, to be able to clearly articulate what the problem is you know like succinctly and like in a sentence ideally uh why it is interesting uh and important and why it is hard and why it hasn't been solved uh, before so you know usually i challenge the student and the student has to convince me uh that they can answer these questions about their chosen topic uh and then you know then we can go ahead with that topic
0: is it some sort of formal process or Uh, the student just comes to you and you have a discussion over, uh, I don't know, a cup of tea and you ask tough questions.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, it is a little bit of a more formal process in the sense that, you know, we have some like regular meetings with some structure and, yeah, Uh, also in some cases it might be that I ask the student to actually, you know, answer these questions in written form because sometimes also writing down uh, things uh, helps you, uh, you know, structure your thoughts. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm the commentator, right? So there's there are also other people that uh, um, interact with the students and make sure that uh, mm-hmm. they yeah, are working too. on something good. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. But uh, from what I understood, it's actually the responsibility of a PhD student to come up with a good topic. You're just helping them to to make sure that the topic they pick up is good and they really understand what they want to solve, right? But uh, it's more like coaching.
1: Yeah, uh. Yeah, this is how it usually works. Uh, uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, overall in academia, I have seen Uh, And I mean, this is also more or less how it was for me, writing my PhD, like I was not assigned to specific uh, topics that I worked on, on the specific problems. I was given a broader direction, but then, you know, finding the specific research problem within that uh, direction was uh, my own responsibility. I mean, I have seen in other uh, um, uh, groups in academia that especially for... First year students, it might be that actually the professor gives them some more concrete topics, like similar to how like I said I give topics to master students. Uh, so like uh, usually to get them started with their like first uh, with the first research problem that they will um, work on. But yeah, as you said earlier, also a PhD is a larger piece of work. So usually, you know, you're you're expected to publish uh, two or three papers uh, that will all be part of your PhD. So even if you are assigned a topic at the beginning, you're still expected that, you know, for the next paper, uh, you will be more independent in uh, choosing your own topic.
0: I'm curious, how does it work? Like you have a broader direction and then a student comes with a more narrow research. Do they just read a lot of papers and then... Uh, see which ideas they like and then they just run uh, these ideas by you and you say yeah these are cool ideas let's dig deeper something like that
1: yeah something like that i mean okay yeah Uh, it could also be that we provide a few more pointers about uh, you know what is still open uh, uh, in this broader topic because since uh, the the topics are broader it also means that there is uh, there are other people also that work in uh, the broader Mm -hmm. area so uh, we also want to make sure that each student has a separate topic from the other students and they don't overlap too much, right? So, yeah, right. yeah. we also have some pointers about, okay, this, uh, these are not taken yet or like in this direction, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, what are the, so you said there are a few bigger research themes in the group. Uh, what are these themes uh, at the demo group? So I know IoT, right, is one of these exactly. uh, topics. What are the yeah. others?
1: Now, there are practically two bigger topics now. So one is, yes, uh, IoT or like, um, you know, uh, uh, building a general purpose um, uh, data management system uh, for the IoT. Um, This is uh, a system that uh, we call a nebula stream. Uh, And then there is another topic um, uh, that uh, we call Agora. And uh, this is a unified data infrastructure for uh, building ecosystems. Uh, and in this ecosystem, we want to bring together um, different data assets that could be uh, data itself, but also algorithms, uh, models, computational resources, uh, so that uh, uh, users uh, can combine all these resources uh, and uh, yeah, they can um, use them uh, uh, to develop uh, their applications.
0: Is uh, the DIMA group still involved with Apache Flink? Because I remember when I was studied there, it was like a very big thing and a lot of research was focused on Flink. But now since Flink is a more independent entity, is it still uh, the case?
1: Um, Yeah, not really. So basically, in a sense, this nebula stream system uh, is kind of the next Flink, you would say. Uh, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you see, this is representative of how, yeah, uh, the Dima group works, you know, yeah, before there was Flink, and a lot of uh, uh, researchers were working on different problems related to that system, and now we have Nebula Stream and Agora, and, you know, a lot of uh, the research goes into building these
0: systems. Cool, so you're working on the next Flink, that's, that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the working name now is Nebula, right? yeah. Yeah, Interesting. And um, uh, in general, I'm curious, um, how do you know what are the important topics in research? So if there are some topics uh, like themes in uh, in the group in general that you try to, you know, to stay within these themes. Um. But this is still quite broad, right? So this uh, streaming in general is quite broad. Like, how do you know what is... uh, an important topic, like what are what are the trends in this uh, in these topics, like how do you stay on top of that?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's hard. I mean, it's a very good question. It's uh, something uh, in general hard to do, I guess. Uh, I mean, it depends also a little bit on how much uh, forward we want to look into the future. I think in general, you can tell what are like the current important topics and trends, mainly by looking at uh, what is being published uh, currently at the major conferences, right, in your field. And uh, it can help even more if you attend these conferences um, to exchange ideas with your peers. Um, So... Uh, Yeah, this helps you identify the trendy topics in the present time. Um, Now, as I said, I have also been reviewing papers for conferences, and in general, this means that I have access to papers before they are actually published, while they're still work in uh, progress. Um, And uh, this, to some extent, can help foresee trends uh, that might come up in the near future. So let's say within one, two, three years, maybe. Because, yeah, you still get access to some work that's not published and maybe won't be published uh, uh, that uh, cycle. But um, you see what people are working on. So this helps you form an idea. But what is uh, really hard, of course, is um, to predict the next big trend that will come, let's say, in 10 years or so. And I mean, unfortunately, I cannot claim that I'm in a position to do that. Uh, but if you can really do this, um, it is very valuable because, yeah, I mean, these trends in research come a little bit in waves. Uh, and if you are at the beginning of such a wave and you are one of the first people um, to work on a certain topic uh, before it is broadly popular. Uh, when later the topic becomes popular, so if your you know prediction was correct and this becomes an important topic, you will be a pioneer in the field, right? And your work will really get a lot of attention, uh, and a lot of people will refer back to it and uh, cite it, which uh, is something that matters. Um, now. In um, something else that I can mention here is that in the database research community, there is a tradition uh, that every few years, I think every five years or so, uh, a group of more senior um, database researchers uh, gather together uh, and um, like in the same location. So they meet physically and they brainstorm uh, on what are the big uh, trends, the next big trends and how we as a community can get more impact out of our research. And uh, yeah, after the gathering, they write down their findings in the report. Um, so, uh, yeah, in general, I find that this can be quite helpful for more um, junior researchers, um, yeah, to help them identify future research directions. And yeah, I mentioned before that, uh, yeah, going to conferences can also help. And one other the reasons, uh, one other reason that it can help is that there are also some like discussion panels where, again, you see more senior people, uh, you know, discuss about the future of the field. So
0: Yeah. So basically networking, right? Uh, so conferences, uh, seeing what is published. Uh, do you think it's important to also be in touch with uh, maybe industry partners uh, to see what is uh, going on in industry, uh, to see, you know, like what maybe uh, will be important there, or uh, um, the conferences, safety conferences right now.
1: That is a great uh, point, and I mean, I have to say that in general, in our conferences, I mean, there are also people from industry. I mean, we are not, uh, Google, right? you know, we, yeah, 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 Google. we are a field that is quite open to to, to, to industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, definitely, I think this is also something that uh, can help. Um, yeah.
0: And uh, funny thing that you mentioned that uh, you know uh, picking things that will be important in the future is uh, difficult. Well, the Dima group I think managed to do it at least once with Flink. Yeah. And I remember when I was choosing whether to go to Berlin or to some other city, so I saw a pitch from Professor Markel, and what he said was that they don't at Dima, they do not teach things that are important now they teach things that will be important in like three, five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he would then go into uh, flink. Back then it was called satasphere, I think, like how yeah. cool this thing is. And he was actually right. Like uh-huh. uh, <laughs> Because back then, uh, I don't think it was uh, really appreciated uh-huh. in the uh, industry, like this fling thing, but now, yeah, people like it.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I would say in that sense, yeah, definitely. Professor Martel is a you know visionary <laughs> person, and yeah, I mean, in that sense again, for me as a more junior researcher, it also helps you know to have him as a mentor. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, yeah. so but uh, the the main um, sort of the main way of seeing trends in research is attending conferences and then doing these gatherings and then uh, having discussion panels, and I think you mentioned also reviewing papers. Which mm-hmm. is- um, how typical it is for people to also work on uh, reviewing papers? Like, do all postdocs do this, or not everyone?
1: Um, I would say most postdocs. I mean, you know, to, to get to review papers, I mean, you have to be invited. Uh, and, you know, it's invitation based. Uh, but and then, it, uh, but then, you know, it is also a volunteering activity. So in general, you know, yeah, you're not getting paid or anything to do that, right? So. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I would say most postdocs, um, you know, are uh, known enough uh, to to be invited uh, for such uh, uh, for such uh, things. Yeah. Um, you have yeah, to have
0: I mean, a name,
1: right? I, yeah, someone has to invite you, so they, they need, to, to <laughs> like need to know to you. At least a
0: few papers, and then they see, okay, this person is clearly uh, this person clearly knows what the. Like a, about this particular area of research, let's invite them and ask them to review papers. Does it work um, like
1: that? Yeah, I mean, I would say yeah. You ha- need to have published some papers on your own because I mean, it's also a little bit weird to judge uh, other people's yeah, research but, yeah. if yourself uh, have not proved that you are actually able to conduct good research. Uh, but then you know, it it might be the case that someone has published a lot of papers, but they're still not invited for these conferences. Just. Because they don't know a key person in the committee that can actually uh, invite them to, to, you know, to be in the committee. So, in that sense, you know, total some networking. Uh, in my case, I guess I was uh, lucky that I have been in. Um, uh, research groups that have visibility um, so both uh, DEMA, the Dima group uh, and also my group at EPFL uh, which was called Diaz, <laughs> um, you know are um, uh, research groups that have international visibility are among the best uh, in uh, the field um, so you know uh, that also helped uh, for me to get visibility
0: yeah thanks and uh, speaking of uh, trends in research so sometimes you come to a conference And then there is one topic that everyone talks about, like it's clearly (laughs) a trend. But the next year you come and everyone forgets about this. I'm sure you can think of uh, such things that, you know, come in ways and then go, and a few years uh, after that, uh, nobody remembers about them. Right. So I would call it like hype. Uh, Mm. uh, But there are things that, uh, you know, they don't get uh, the attention they deserve. Uh, Sometimes Mm -hmm. there are. Other things people get more excited about, them, but there are things that maybe people do not notice. Do you think there are some research topics in, uh, in your area of research that are underrated right now?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say that's a, a difficult question, I think. Uh, so first, I'll try to give a bit of a more general answer. Uh, so one of the things that I have personally noticed in the field, um, and that to some extent bothers me, is that in most cases, um, people only focus on improving uh, performance, um, which typically means uh, uh, you know, improving runtime, so measuring performance by runtime. Uh, so when you come up with a new technique and a new solution, in order to convince the reviewers at the conferences to Accept your paper for publication, you usually have to show, oh, my new technique is like X times faster than all previous techniques. And then, you know, it's easy. But of course, uh, yeah, this is important to improve, you know, to decrease the runtime. But there are also a lot of metrics that can be important. Um, like, uh, I don't know, like the ease of adoption of a certain technique or, uh, you know, the usability, the programmability, or even things like energy consumption. And these metrics, in my experience, are typically a bit overlooked. So to some extent, I think this happens because they are a little bit hard to quantify and put in a number. Uh, And as a result, so that's a bit of a general answer, but as a result, I think if your work focuses on improving a metric that's uh, other than performance, Uh, It is usually, uh, in my opinion, a bit undervalued uh, by the community. Um, You know, it's harder for you to publish uh, your work. And then there is another like broader topic that I think, um, well, I do not think it is undervalued, but maybe you could say that it's uh, uh, underrated because it's a topic that uh, everyone understands its importance. uh, But it's still not so popular in the sense that not so many people want to work on that. And the topic is uh, data cleaning. Um, so, I mean, I, I think everybody would agree this is a really important uh, and to, like really open uh, problem. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there are enough people working on that right now. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I think this is uh, probably a combination of factors because it is a really hard problem. So to begin with, this is a bit scary, I think. And at the same time, again, maybe there is this issue that um, in the case of data cleaning. Uh, It is harder to quantify again the impact of new approaches and convince the community about their value. I mean, again, you cannot just say and uh, you cannot just go and say, oh, I made things like, you know, two orders of magnitude faster. It's a bit more complex than that.
0: I'm wondering, like uh, data cleaning is more like art than science. Like, how do you actually quantify that? Mm. I guess there are metrics that, you know, measure the cleanness of data. Like, I guess this is a tricky one. And uh, uh, is there research in this area?
1: Yeah, I mean there there is still research yes of course. I mean I I don't have experience I haven't done research in this area. I mean I have to say that I went like early in my PhD Um, you know, my professor mentioned this as an option back then. And I have to say that I was also a little bit negative or scared of the topic, um, because, okay, I mean, to some extent, it still might be that yourself, you recognize that the problem is important, but okay, you also need to like it. And if for some reason you don't like it, okay, you cannot force yourself to work on that, even if you believe that it's important. Um, but yeah, I mean. There are people, uh, yeah, it's not, I mean, it is an existing uh, research area, definitely. Um, I just think that, yeah, overall, it's still uh, not popular enough. I mean, it's not as sexy or fancy as other topics that are probably less important.
0: Uh, Right now, at least in the industry, this is a very, very manual process. You need to do a lot of trials and errors and then you need to handle a lot of corner cases and then the code you have for cleaning like becomes mm. bigger and bigger with every corner case i guess the area of research would be like how to actually automate this right Instead yeah yeah of relying on this uh, infinite loop of uh trial and error how do you actually have a, a way to automatically figuring out what the data problems data exactly. cleaning problems are and solving them yeah
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah, yeah the, that would the be the main idea. yeah Yeah, yeah, the main effort. Yeah, we go to like, uh, either fully automate or I mean, maybe that's not still so realistic, but at least, uh, yeah, make it easier for the you know data scientists. uh,
0: Yeah, I uh, can relate to that problem. Like I mm -hmm. can imagine, like having a black box saying, "Hey, like here's a pile of dirty data. Please make it (laughs) nice." (laughs) Yeah, I would use that.
1: Definitely, can you (laughs) imagine? Yes.
0: Yeah. Thanks. And uh, you also mentioned now that uh, as a postdoc you do a lot of uh, work in collaboration with other postdocs so they are on the same level so you're not necessarily mentoring them um, but you're more collaborating with them um do you collaborate do you work a lot of people from different industries uh, like maybe let's say from different groups that are not necessarily data management groups
1: mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's um yeah, I have some experience, yes, of working with people that are not in data management. Uh so um yeah, um because I mean yeah in general uh it there are connections, uh, it's easy to find connections uh, uh, from data management uh, to other disciplines. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so, um, for example, yeah, in my PhD, uh, I was involved in a large um, a multidisciplinary uh, project, and that was uh, and still is, uh, called uh, the Human Brain Project. And uh, one of the main goals of that project was to build um, uh, three-dimensional models of the human brain and then run simulations over them. Uh, So for that project, I had a collaboration uh, with neuroscientists uh, that were the ones building the brain models. And then in, within that collaboration, I developed some like, tools uh, that uh, allow them to access subregions regions of those models more efficiently. So this is the data management uh, component. Uh, so, uh, yeah, in my experience, having this kind of collaborations um, does require some extra effort because you need to find a common language. Uh, you, know, you need to find a way to communicate uh, with someone who is outside of your field. And that's not always easy Um, and it goes both ways. I mean, you know, some things that were obvious to me, I had to understand that it's not to someone outside of the field and I have to find a way to explain to them, but also, you know, to understand what they are telling me. Um, But yeah, it can also be quite rewarding because um, you see your work being applied to solve a real problem. Um, Yeah.
0: Uh, I I remember in Dima. so like it was a seventh floor building. Uh, So Uh we were on the seventh floor. And then Uh sometimes I would go on the sixth floor. And then there was a group that was doing some video encoding. I don't remember. Like a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I don't remember what was on the fifth floor, but also something unrelated. And what I found interesting is that uh, these groups, they don't really communicate with each other. So do you um is is it still the case or you're trying to somehow find ways of uh connecting with each other
1: Mm, yeah that's a good point i mean um maybe now it has improved i would say um like actually there is one um issue that i find a problem uh, as you said that um um where the group is, it's which is the different. actual building. No, I mean I, I. think it's actually not so great that yeah, the Dima group is on the seventh floor, uh, you know, by itself. So everybody on that floor is from the same group. So and then the other groups are on different floors, and then you know you have a common lounge area. But when you are there, you will only see and interact with people from your own group. There's no chance you'll meet someone outside outside of your group where you can initiate some maybe interesting discussion. So um, yeah, I I think that this not great. And um, yeah, if we had like some like lounge areas where people from different groups can hang out, uh, this would uh, really help a lot to like you know bootstrap some uh, collaborations. And I have to say, in my previous group, it was a little bit um, there was a bit more mingling uh, between my yeah in my previous university there was a bit more mingling between the different groups. Um, however, yeah, you mentioned the sixth floor, so I'm not I'm not sure, yeah, which group you were you're referring to. But for example, right now, uh, I am involved also in a collaboration with another group, um, actually Berlin, which is the remote sensing group. Um, and yeah, uh, in this uh, group, they um, are working with um, like satellite imagery, um, and uh, yeah, how to efficiently. Um, uh, uh, index these images, but based on their uh, actual content, uh, which um, yeah requires some deep learning techniques that they have developed. And yes, and I mean we have a collaboration with them to you know help them tackle the problem also from the data management um, uh, aspect. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, sorry if it came as uh, came out as a critique i wanted to lead actually this to you know asking how you collaborate with other groups and how you find uh, you know ways of collaborating and this what you brought up like remote sensing group yeah it's quite interesting um do you know how it happened like how you met and decided to work uh, together because I, I guess this is also related to your uh of research like this spatial analytics exactly
1: right? yes yes um it does um no but yeah however yeah i mean even though i have been um in, i mean i am involved in this um collaboration i have also been in collaborations before i was not the one that like drop them like that initiated them i mean this was done usually by you know the professors leading the groups um so i would say this was probably the case uh, here. I mean, I was brought in touch uh, with a professor that works in remote sensing through, you know, my, uh, 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 um, through the professor that I'm working with. So, uh, yeah, he made the connection. Um,
0: yeah, thanks. I noticed that uh, I've been ignoring questions, so apologies for that. So we have a few questions and uh, Amin is asking, he's uh, uh, or she, I, sorry, I don't know. I, so I mean, is uh, wondering um, for a computer master student what field uh, would be good uh, to work uh, in order to be able to apply for a PhD position at a top European or American university.
1: Um, I mean, okay, I. That's a good question, but I mean, of course, it's really, I would say, you know, it depends on your interests, right? And I mean, I'm in data management, so I would, uh, you know, advertise and support uh, my field, uh, I would say, you know, (laughs) to do research in data management. Um, So, but, uh, you know, in the end of the day, you should uh, pick the topics um, that um, um, uh, you like. And in the end, uh, what matters is, uh, you know, the quality of your research rather than the... um, Um, the topic. Now, that said, of course, I mean, I cannot ignore that. Uh, Right now, there is a a big, um, um, let's say, uh, focus uh, in academia uh, on uh, AI and machine learning, right? I mean, I cannot ignore that. Um, uh, So in that sense, in these domains, there are probably more opportunities and open positions uh, than in other domains, but also there is more competition. So, this is also something to take into account. Uh, and uh, that's why, again, it goes back to really make sure that this is something that you like and you want to do it if, because you like it and not because it's, um, you know, the next, you know, because it's popular right now, uh, because there is competition. So, if you don't like it enough, there will be someone else
0: that does it and they like it and they will be better than you. And uh, I guess like for any field you take, you will be able to find a university or a group at some university uh, that does this work and you'll be able to go there. Exactly. But but I'm curious, like, how do you go about selecting topics there? So let's say you pick a broader field and then you want to find some topics that... uh, um, and I think it back, goes back to the discussion we have like of identifying trends. So I guess this is what uh, you can also do, right? So you can look at, take a look at the conference, conferences like bigger venues in this field and then see what are the trends there, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can yeah. pick some of these trends there and try to um, to see if, there, mm. if you like them, right? And, yeah. Uh,
1: And yeah, then yeah, maybe two more things. Uh, So, okay, uh, one thing maybe is to try to do research already in your master's uh, because uh, yeah, this can help you uh, identify what uh, uh, you like. Uh, which uh, can mean that, you know, you may work in your master's in the field and you see that you really like it and you continue in your PhD. But it can also mean that you try something in your master's and it's a good way to find out that you actually don't like it. (laughs) And then you move on to a different area, uh, which was a little bit the case uh, uh, for me. For example, like my master's thesis topic was related to signal processing, so it was not in databases. And another thing that I actually also did uh, is that I did an internship uh, um, prior to my PhD in the same group where I ended up doing my PhD, Uh, but I first worked there a few months as an intern, again, to kind of make sure that uh, this is something I like uh, before I commit to something bigger uh, like a PhD. Uh, And in addition to that, in my previous university, uh, EPFL in uh, Switzerland, and there might be other universities that apply the same uh, thing, I'm not sure about that. But there was a chance that um, if you're selected uh, with a fellowship, uh, you can actually spend your first year at the university working on different groups um, uh, until you decide which is the group where you actually want to stay and do your PhD. Uh, So that also Uh, gave some students the flexibility to try different things to yeah
0: and identify what they like uh, actually maybe this is something you can also help uh, this is a question that comes up in the community quite often maybe at least uh, once in a month is uh, especially during the times when students need to select a topic for their master thesis is how do i actually select a topic Um, do you have any advice for those students how can they pick a topic for the master's studies, for the thesis?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, yes, yeah, I said, at least that in my group, everybody advertises um, the topics, right? So uh, you don't have to come up, uh, like master students don't really have to think uh, from scratch about the topic, but they can go through a list of advertised topics um, that each of them comes with a description as well, right? Um, uh, So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would say again, it goes back to what uh, you find interesting, but also, okay, uh, one other uh, aspect is to maybe also make sure that you have enough background for that topic because um, or if you don't, that you are aware of that and that you're really prepared to, you know, cover the missing background, because otherwise it can be a, like a bad a negative experience um, to work on something that um, you don't have the yeah, uh, skill set for. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I mean, then to some extent, sometimes also uh, who you're working with can be as important as the topic uh, or in some cases, even more so, you know, I would also say to uh, be careful in choosing your mentor uh, and make sure that you uh, have a good uh, uh, connection to that mentor and that you are aligned in terms of how you work together.
0: So in practice, it means uh, basically finding a PhD student uh, whose research you like and then trying to see how you can help them in their PhD research, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least this is how it was for me and I got uh-huh. that, uh, this is how it works. So uh-huh. I remember um, we had like a sort of meeting and then PhD students would come and pitch the topics that, that they're working on. and then whoever likes the topic would come then and directly approach the PhD. students saying, "Hey, I like uh, what you're working on. Let's uh, do something." Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah that's true because yeah i mean phd students are also involved in teaching so it's actually an opportunity for like master and bachelor students to interact with them and see what they're working on and yeah have some discussions uh, about potential um, uh, topics Uh, so in that sense you can also um, cover what i said that um, like, you know, to have a mentor that um, you're happy with because you actually can work with a person that you are already familiar because you um, uh, had that, that person as a teacher in some course. And to me, it happens a lot that uh, the students that end up doing a thesis with me, they are students that already know me from some course where I was involved. They're not complete strangers.
0: Okay. And... Um... What advice would you give to somebody who is just graduating from master's and they are not sure whether they want to continue researching and do a PhD or they just want to work uh, in the industry? Um, mm. I, I think this is quite a difficult problem. Like I remember for me, it was a difficult mm. decision. Like, Do you have any suggestion or like advice for people who need to, to decide to help them do this?
1: Mm, um, I mean, yeah, to some extent it's a bit what I already said, which is already like give it a try, uh, but like at a smaller scale. So before uh before you start the PhD to try to do some research either in your master's or like as part of an internship. And I, I mean one uh, important thing that comes with that is that you can have more fun actually doing research and in your PhD, because there's also less pressure. Uh, there is no pressure to publish. Uh, doing uh, research uh, in your master's is completely optional. Uh, there is no, no clock ticking telling you that in three years you need to publish three papers. Uh, so you actually can have more fun, <laughs> I think. Um, and uh, I mean, then the same way, so I am someone that unfortunately doesn't have uh, industry experience. But I mean, I would say the same way also, you can try to do some internships also in, in, in the industry, right? um and um uh yeah work uh also for some companies so yeah you know you try both and then hopefully it will become clear what you like uh, more um yeah
0: okay so doing thesis and then uh, also doing internship and then like uh, seeing what you like mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, actually a good point about uh no pressure to publish because I remember, like when I was writing my thesis, uh, we decided to publish it as a paper after mm. I graduated. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a lot. Uh, you know, nobody forced me. Like, hey, write this paper or you will not graduate. Uh, you will not get your masters. Yeah. But in with PhD, if you don't write your paper, then you do not graduate, right?
1: Yeah, with no publications, uh, you cannot graduate.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> Because with uh, master thesis, you just defend it and then your advisor, supervisor says, okay, like this is uh, this kind of mark. And then the, the people, the jury who uh, who watch the defense, they say, okay, yeah, this is the mark. And then you get yeah. your, your papers, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, so with PhD, you still have to do that. But on top of that, you need to have like uh, uh, quite a bunch of papers published at top venues, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. that's tough
1: and yeah different groups have different requirements in terms of uh, you know how many papers you are expected to publish but uh, yeah in general it's always at least one I mean broadly Mm -hmm. speaking I mean at Dima, it's typically actually three and like Mm -hmm. three uh, at the top conferences so it is uh, not easy
0: and one last thing I wanted to ask you and this is actually uh, something we also talked with uh, a guest a few podcasts ago, so with mm. Barbara, who is, uh, who is taking part in women in data science uh, mm.
1: um,
0: community. So, and uh, there, um, the question some of the, um, somebody from the audience had to hear is like, how can we promote uh, uh, computer science to female students? Because this is not very popular among female students. And uh, in general, data science, computer science, these are, um, like I would say male-dominated areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think we can do to attract more female students to research in computer science?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, this is a topic like you know that uh, I like to talk about and I, you know, I personally also find it very important. Um, and um, yeah, there are a lot of discussions uh, on that topic. So I will actually try then to give my personal experience and perspective And uh, share with you uh, you what attracted me personally to first uh, study computer science and then pursue a career in research, and then try to see how this this could apply uh, more generally for other women as well. So, okay, to begin with, uh, in my case, my choice was influenced uh, by my father actually because he's a professor uh, of computer science in Greece. So, in my case, it was a little bit, I was a bit lucky. Let's say I had this influence in my home. Uh, but then, like now, taking this to the general case, I think it is important that we organize events uh, for uh, you know younger um, students in high school or even primary school, uh, in particular female ones. But it can like these events could be addressed to all students, uh, where uh, we can. Um, they can, uh, students can see uh, what computer science is, but in a very gender neutral way. And um, yeah, I really uh, want to put emphasis on this uh, you know, gender neutrality, uh, because I think it is really crucial uh, that students um, uh, stop making this association in their minds uh, that uh, computer science is only meant, you know, for geeky guys that sit, <laughs> I don't know, in their basements uh, wearing glasses and like dirty t-shirts. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm like over exaggerating the stereotype from the other side. But I mean, this is how CS is often like depicted in the pop culture, right? And I mean, in the movies, uh, yes, yeah. yeah. so, I mean, inevitably, this actually uh, influences uh, people. Uh, but yeah, I think, so I think, you know, in these young ages, it is really important uh, for students to realize that, uh, you know, your gender and your fashion choices <laughs> are like completely relevant, uh, and just focus on the essence. Um, now, uh, again, going back to my personal experience, um, um, so yeah, as I said, you know, through my father, I got attracted to the field, but I mean, later on, uh, when I was doing my PhD, uh, for me, it was quite helpful that my PhD advisor was actually a woman. So in that sense, I had a female role model. Um, and actually even more what helped me was the fact that a lot of my PhD peers in my group were also, uh, female. Um uh, to me, this was actually more helpful because I could more easily uh, relate to other women around my age who were just like one or two steps ahead of me. And I could feel that, uh, you know, I'm not alone and that if they are successful, then I can also be successful. Uh, so again, extrapolating what this means in general, I think it is important for universities to employ females. Uh, at all levels uh, as professors, but also to make sure that there are also female postdocs and uh, female PhD students. Um, Yeah. And yeah, maybe finally, the the hardest part is to actually keep uh, women in research and more specifically in academic research in the long run. I mean, if you look, uh, there are like all these different uh, studies that show that uh, in the current situation at every stage, Women are more likely to drop out than men. Uh, you know, so to begin with, we don't have so many uh, master students. Then they get even fewer at the PhD level, even fewer at the postdoc level, and even fewer at the you know professor level. Uh, and um, yeah, I think for me this is maybe the hardest problem. Um, And yeah, it happens because it's quite hard to combine uh, creating a family with the academic expectations that um, require you to be mobile and uh, change cities or countries until you get a permanent position, while also you have to work long hours. Um, So yeah, this is uh, one of the hardest problems, I think, to solve. Uh, Of course, some solutions uh, go towards the direction of having better uh, childcare and support for women. But yeah, I mean, my feeling is that it somehow goes beyond that, and uh, that uh, somehow universities need to acknowledge and be aware of the additional challenges uh, uh, that women may uh, may face uh, in their personal lives, and uh, yeah, make some uh, adjustments for that.
0: We should start with schools, right? Like you said, uh, yeah. have these events, and uh, I guess if uh, if this event, like somebody who comes and presents, is uh, um, the presenter is uh, a guy like you know in this t-shirt mm-hmm. like you described like you described and then uh, so maybe it's helpful to have a female uh, <laughs> presenter as well right no yeah. i mean
1: this i can really tell you this from my personal experience of this problem is real i mean when i was uh, younger and i was starting with my phd i mean i somehow really uh, felt that okay um the way i dress and uh, you know the fact that i don't know i wear makeup and all that okay it's somehow incompatible with me being in computer science. I mean, it's maybe a sign that I'm actually not good for that, which is crazy. But I mean, I going back, I can really see that I was to some extent making these thoughts, feeling that I don't fit in the stereotype, right? And that this is probably because I'm doing something wrong, not because the stereotype is wrong, but because there's something wrong with me. So uh, it's, um, yeah, it can have an impact.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so we should be wrapping up. um... If people have questions to you, how can they find you?
1: Well, I guess you. um, I mean, I you have already shared my (laughs) information on on your uh, website, right? There is a link to
0: your uh, to the demo page with all your contact.
1: Yeah, I mean, this information is up to date. So yeah, I guess yeah, there is my email on my website. I guess that's the easiest way.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thanks a lot thanks for joining us today. thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for telling us about uh, the work you're doing. Uh, also talking about thanks for talking about challenges uh, openly like uh, and uh, all these things. So thanks a lot. Thanks everyone for joining us today for asking questions. And yeah, thanks, Eleni. Uh,
1: thanks a lot, Alex. Yeah, it was uh, great being in the podcast and uh, yeah, great to meet you. Yeah. yeah. And
0: sorry for technical difficulties. I hope it was fine that uh, I was from uh, my mobile phone. No. Oh, no, no. I mean, after
1: like this uh, first issue, then it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Problem maybe I all. should just
0: do this from my mobile phone all the time. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Uh, and uh, yeah, have a great weekend.
1: Yeah. You too. Thanks. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.